Hi, I'm Abby, and here on B-Sides, I talk to people, sometimes myself, about their B-Sides. You know, like records? Gosh, I'm old. It's the artist's choice, the hidden gem, the surprise track, that worn-in, groovy side that flips your mood and lights you up. Okay, it's not that kind of podcast, but I just want to talk about what fuels you from the inside. Not that side you play and repeat every day. Your better side. Your B-side. And now let's see who's beside Abby today. I started to realize that a lot of these artists and composers in this ecosystem were denying the beauty of simplicity. And I started to somehow come back to the original root of, you know, three chords and the truth, honestly. Yeah. Hey guys, welcome back. Today I talked to my old friend Keith Customer, and to be completely honest with you, I have done a million takes of this intro and I can't quite seem to sum up what I need to say, which is not like me. Um, yeah, I'm in a very introspective space right now and I promised you honesty from the beginning of this, so that's just what you're going to get. But what I think is happening is, this is really important to me because he and his music reminds me of what turned out to be a very special time in my life. I've known him for almost to the hour exactly how long I've known my husband, who created the world that I have right now. You know, we lived in the same dorm, circled the same circles for years. We were both just kids in college, away from home for the first time, thinking we were all grown and trying to figure out who we were. Music has always placed time and emotion stamps on things for me, and his voice and his music just takes me back to a different time in my life where I just happened to have met these people who would continue to influence me for years to come. It's a very beautiful, emotional, full circle moment for me, and I clearly wasn't expecting that. In the episode details, you'll find links to things you hear so you can learn more about them if you so desire. But now, please delight in the score of his life's journey and a little of my own. And please enjoy Keith. I did not want to cry right there. Sorry, Keith. Hello. Hey! I just had you in my ears. I had a little bit of um of Eden's reunion in my ears. It's a, I consider that one of my, I have what's called Valium songs where like, it just goes, and that's one of them. I, uh, I mean, I know that I wrote it, but um, I still, I kind of feel the same way. And do you know that song, this was probably in 2000, uh, JT and I were asked to perform that song at St. Matthew's church, Catholic church in uh, Charlotte. And that recording actually made its way to the previous Pope's desk or whoever was working for him at the time. So that song is blessed. That song is blessed by uh, Pope Francis. Holy crap. No, I love that song. I mean, I, 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 but just so you know what else is on the list of Valium songs for me, it's kind of a short list, but Yellow Ledbetter and um, Van Morrison into the Mystic. Just when there's a, it just sets a certain mood. Yellow um, lead too brings me to this kind of dark space. 
Oh, really? So it's a different thing for you? Well, I think I was 14 years old. We had taken my friend's uh, parents' car out in the middle of the night so that he could go um, be with his girlfriend. Sure. And I waited in the car while he went into the house, which was, I was thinking, half an hour, an hour or so. And that on the radio, I tell you, Yellow Ledbetter came on like three or four times an hour. Every time I hear that song, I'm reminded of this like stressful anxiety. I didn't even know how to drive. So I'm sitting You're freaking 14. Yeah. Um, oh, how funny. So that that song brings out a completely different vibe in you. <laughs> I'm all like, oh. yes. yeah. <laughs> now I wonder if you messed up Yale Let Better for me. I'm going to go into this like shock of anxiety. <laughs> oh, man. So hi, how are you? Great. It's so good to reconnect with you. I'm excited about your new endeavor here. Yeah, you were... Um, I mean, the top person that I thought of to reach out to when I was conceptualizing what I thought this podcast was going to be. And I love it. And it gets you kind of, even just if you're introducing the idea idea of this conversation piece around B-sides, people have a lot of their own question, what what is my (laughs) A-side? Yeah. And I'm I'm thinking about that with you, to be honest. B-sides. What is A-sides? Well, I'm only B-sides. And for you, for me, my, you know, A-side that I would say you are might not at all be true because we met in college. You were always Keith, who was in a band and a musician. So that to me, is that your A-side or is that just all of you? And this is where we get into the dilemma. Um, But it is interesting that when we met, you know, college in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, band, the band and music, I mean, this is like, all I wanted to do was focus on that. And when I had to decide, okay, what's going to be my degree focus from day one, for some reason, I don't know why, but I was like, okay, business, you know, oh, I'll just, that'll be my little label in college while I go full on for music career and engaging flash forward 20 something years my if if you were to look at my linkedin or my business card it's going to say head of strategy of development of a technology company Mm -hmm. and in heavily involved in business development yet where all my passion lies and what i have created momentum to be fully free and independent in is music and arts. Yeah. So it's been a, it is a flip is what I would tell the world or on paper, what is my A or B side? But I think yeah. they kind of fuse together in a really cool way. I think, yeah, I think that's true. And I, I feel like maybe you're an example of someone who your sides, it depends on maybe who is in the room with you, who you're talking to, because like, I mean, everyone should have that ability to be able to like switch into different modes, but. It is so true. I wonder A and B side is, you know, kind of a meta concept, but Mm. think all the like micro A and B sides or C sides or things that we just randomly switch on based off of meeting someone new. Mm -hmm. How, what were the circumstances of who we met someone, someone from the past, family members, spouses, business colleagues, music colleagues, we do kind of switch 
the tone. Yeah. And sometimes if you actually reflect on that, you think like, am I being genuine? 100%. And I don't want to, I want to be an optimist and say, I, I feel like I'm being authentic, but what is forcing me to morph and switch the tone and the voice of who I am and what I have to offer in a conversation with someone? But there's so many other layers and sides that I think it just depends on the, the atmosphere. And I, I don't, I don't think it's disingenuous, like what you were saying before. I think that it, I think it's probably just a really great ability to be able to read a room and know what part of you needs to show up in that moment. And again, for me, my version of you is the large percentage was me seeing you on a stage with a large crowd of people and your rock star Keith. But like, I don't know what you're like at your work slash a side, what brings in the what pays your bills. I don't know who that person, I'm sure that he's just as, as dynamic as the other you that I know. I mean, I don't know. Do you feel like you are able to bring in that charisma? Cause you do have a lot of charisma and I'm sure you know that you have to be self-aware enough to recognize that if you desire to stand on a stage in front of people, you have to know you got something. You know, the interesting thing about the stage is, and you may recall this, it's just maybe a little, um, Thing about me, but I often close my eyes um, almost 80% of the performance. I do remember that. I, I don't know what it is. It's not a distraction. I don't have a problem like making eye contact, but for some reason to go into it, to be kind of in the hypnotic space that you need to be in, to be fully genuine, I have to close my eyes and like just kind of see the rush of um, nothing. <laughs> But it's really? interesting because if that's my um, stage reaction, but in business, especially in the virtual space or in an in-person meeting, can you imagine if I was having a business new meeting with my eyes closed the whole time? I want you to try it and see. Just, just like, no. Try to do it. It's very difficult. And I used to see the sun over the town, but now it's gone away. And so you, were you always, were you always musical? Like your mom, if I was talking to your mom, would she say, oh, he came out singing? I, I think so because I was raised in a musical family. Yeah. A musical family. One was, um, you know, at, at a younger age, my dad was a classical, he could play sight read classical repertoire, Rachmaninoff. Your dad's he, awesome. And goes off into theater. He is very much a musical theater director. My mom grew up with her grandmother as the organist in a Lutheran church. And my mom grew up being able to listen by ear. She had an incredible ear and she could read what we call, you know, fake books in music where it's just chords and a melody. And she would play all over ranges of the piano, just making it up, following the chords, almost as if she was reading music, but she wasn't. And just we had sing-alongs. Uh, music and uh, music and art was just constantly alive in our house. So I think it wasn't even a question that I would dive into that. I almost had to ask and kind of be visible in front of the family to say, I would like a guitar, you know, or I would like to start studying piano. And it was, I think my parents were waiting for that trigger to say, all right, here you go. 
do you think they were trying to not like pressure you into doing something that was already a part of the culture in your family? Yeah, I don't think uh, I never felt pressured or directed into any of that. I mean, anything, career choice, sports, um, music, our whole family where we would travel, just the, the sense of communion around singing and performing mm-hmm. was just part of the entertainment nature of our ex- extended family. I, I wonder if that makes it easier and I could be wrong because maybe it's not, but if it makes it easier for you to then perform for a crowd on a stage because you grew up with it just being like, we're just doing this because we're hanging out as a family. I know that you close your eyes, but did you ever go through, um, I mean, do you get nervous? Did you get nervous or was it seamless? Um, I don't remember being nervous in family settings. Um, I felt like everything was very free. Our, our parents almost celebrated kind of the ridiculous uh-huh. uh, figure, whether it was my dad or, or uh, an uncle, someone who in the middle of people singing as a family would kind of just get into the character and sing to the top of their lungs with yeah. no hesitance at all. We always revered that. And so I, I see think that in you. the bar was set very high. Oh, you can take it to this extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think over time, that feeling of being free, maybe there was little moments in my life where someone would say, hey, you talk too much. Or, hey, um, you just went on a five-minute euphoric episode without stopping for a breath and asking the other person, what do you think of this? Do you have any questions? <laughs> so uh, we're, we're definitely influenced by others and the, uh, not the criticisms, but the the perspectives of others and the way that they say, here is Keith, he's flying high, or here's Keith, why are you so shy? I'm balancing, like, I'm not shy. I don't think that I'm too, you know, too extroverted. I think that I can find a balance, but based, again, back to our initial statement, based on who you're talking to, what the context is, a different part of you can come out. Absolutely. Do you think, do you consider yourself um, an introvert, extrovert, or the combination of there's an extroverted introvert? And then there's, I suppose there could also be an introverted extrovert. Or do you not even care to go into that, figuring that out because it just doesn't matter to you? I'm an inverted extrovert. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to give me some answer like that. I think I'm an extrovert that also loves the opportunity to be an introvert. Um, and I think it's in my genes. My father spent 18 years in a monast- monastery. Um, very comfortable to be on your own and to just sit with thoughts and to feel that you can kind of create your own excitement when there's only a wall and there's no one else around. That's um, incredible. And maybe the moments where you are by yourself and you're totally fine with that, it's when those extroverted moments and experiences you share kind of echo and you're able to absorb them and reflect on them a little bit more. So I, yeah. I'm glad that there is a, is a balance. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. And I think that um, based off of what I witnessed when we were in school together, I could sort of sense a kindred spirit in 
yeah, this party's fun because this is what we're supposed to be doing right now. And we're having fun and this and that, but then also really happy to not be at a party right now. Or maybe at the party, I'm in the corner because I found a piano or someone had a guitar and I just wanted to sit down and have just in that I can recall moments with you that I would see. And I felt similar to how I was and am. I, it's like, I can turn it on, but then I really want to be able to turn it off. And I I recharge in the silence because it's, it's a lot of energy for me to go out and be that extroverted side. I give it my all. And then I just need to. Value out with some Pearl Jam. <laughs> you know, and I know that we both have uh, restaurant experience as well. And I think an element of that that reflects to what your point is, um, you know, years ago as a server in a restaurant, there's always that culture of after the shift, we're going to go down to the pub because it's going to be free drinks all night and we're going to party, you know, we're going to spend all our money we just made. Right. I'm telling you, out of 11 years in the restaurant industry, I probably went out to one of those post shift nights once or twice. I consciously knew this is, would be so damaging. I've already been in an environment, a party like environment, you know, turning it on and off for guests and being involved in the spirit of restaurant industry. And I need to go back home after this and I need quiet. I want to sit in my room and again, let the echoes of that sound just dissipate and balance can't imagine a life of just constant noise I could not agree with everything you just said more that is exactly how I was um you know when my husband and I when we lived in LA and we did the restaurant scene there as well and we were married and we were among we were kind of the minority being married wasn't young for us but I guess it was just a little bit odd that we were in the big city and our age and, and married and I would just want to go home and like, we would eat, we, I would cook a dinner at like midnight and we'd open up a bottle of wine and we would, we would have that. I mean, I could not take that chaos anymore. And I think that to your point, maybe when you were going out, you know, like when you were waiting tables, that was sort of like a performance in you. Would you classify that in that way? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I don't think that's, no, I don't think that's normal. Cause I'm the same way. And I don't know if that's normal, but I understood what you said completely. Yeah. I mean, now here we are talking about the restaurant industry. I mean, as a server, I remember, you know, getting excited about almost like the curtains rising to each new table that you would enter. And it was based on how I was feeling and my mood, how I wanted to explore, you know, getting to the table and quickly making eye contact with every single person in a two second period. And you get it, you know, exactly what's going to go down at this table. And that becomes the performance begins almost yeah. like a, a, a master of ceremony. Um, yeah. But when you do that for 25, 30 tables, you know, in one given night, I'm ready to simplify things and come back to a space that I can control, even if it's uh, getting involved in cooking an elaborate late night dinner um, and putting a record on and focusing yeah. on that. But, uh, so I, I'm completely in sync with you about that. I think that classifies us. I've never gone down those avenues to figure out what what I am because I don't like labels, but I think what we're describing is that we would be classified as extroverted introverts. Yeah. That's why you'd see me escape to go to the beach house during college because I would just like, I need to get away from just the dorm scene. 
you know. I'm so lucky that uh, you know, in the college experience, we had the ocean next to us. Oh my gosh, the therapy in that. That was, that was vital. Yeah. So um, you are one of the most talented people I've ever known in my entire life. I And then even getting to know you more as we're adults now, I'm still f- peeling back all these layers of like how, how genius you actually are. And I, are you completely aware of that? Like when I say that, do you go, huh? That's interesting. Or do you go, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, I have spent a lot of time kind of rewriting my story internally to myself. Um, and because I have that introverted uh, element, I have spent a lot of time uh, re- studying over and over again things that I've created. I'm not going to tell you that, oh, I'm this artist that, uh, you know, oh, and I don't even listen to my songs or I don't listen back to or play that I've written or, you know, no, the exact opposite. I obsess over it. And this has been, this goes all the way back to even being a kid. I remember um, I was into prank phone calling, nothing like, nothing vulgar, but my goal was how long could I keep someone on this phone? And this is a sixth grader. But uh, I would listen to these recordings over and over and over. And I spent a lot of time by myself building up the story. So I think I have reinforced to myself that I understand the talent I have. And of course, you know, it always feels good to have someone say something like you're, you're a genius, you know, um, but I will in total transparency, I spend a lot of time um, doubting myself and checking my ego a lot the minute that I think this composition that you've just written is the best thing like it's the best thing that's ever written I hear myself say that and I I put myself in check and go hey that is such a insignificant statement you made there's significance in all our lives but in the ultimate vision of the universe everything we do is trivial (laughs) and so I try to punch myself in the gut a lot to say hey I just heard you, Keith, you know, you're very confident right now, but take a step back. A lot of this is keeping up appearances. A lot of this is uh, wanting to quickly study to be able to respond to someone so that they don't find a gap in your knowledge. Mm. That has been something that has been sensitive to me for a long time. Uh, and we can go into more details about stages in my life of where I thought I that would I love had to actually, yeah. And to work really, really hard and fast to catch up to other individuals who have built certain skills. And um, one of the greatest conversations I ever had was from a professor at the Boston Conservatory. Um, At the time I was in the graduate program teaching music history, but imagine I didn't grow up with a knowledge of the Western music lineage. I didn't know about medieval music. I didn't know about notations and all that. And here I am only in a matter of several years trying to sponge up all of this information and I'm supposed to be teaching it. 
And I'm scared in some moments. I'm scared that what I'm teaching is this like one certain vision of the history. And so I would, I would get a lot of anxiety around that. You mentioned being nervous on stage, not really as much nervous on stage, but nervous when I just don't feel like I have the full picture prepared to answer any question. And my professor had, we were having, we were in Martha's Vineyard grading papers. And I mentioned this, you know, just this little open up my heart and saying, Hey, I feel like I don't know everything. And she said, you know, I've been teaching music history for 30 years. I have a PhD and I have my gaps. I'm constantly worried that someone's going to find that one thing that I, I missed the date on. I didn't remember who composed this. I can't hear, can't recognize who this piece is. And it just encouraged me to stop being afraid about that and be more curious about it. And that will keep, that keeps me more optimistic and allows me to not sink in a hole of feeling that I'm not inadequate and allows me to embrace that. Yes, I have worked hard. I have built certain talents and I am going to be open to the world when I create and share. I think that that's a really good point that you just said that, um, you know, looking at it from a curiosity standpoint, that sounds like you have a very healthy outlook on your place in, in this world. Like the, the ego can take anything big or small, that ego, that side of things can take things to a totally different place. It's so true. I think it should not be a uh, inner conversation that's avoided to recognize mm -hmm. the pros and cons of your ego. Yeah. Um, the ego concept, people think that that is, ego means a negative term. That's not at all what we're talking about. It's, mm -mm. it is that it needs to be there in your head because we, we mm -hmm. progress and achieve through it. Yep. But if it is not in check and you don't make a routine in life of checking that, then it will eat you up. And I have six admonitions that I say every single morning, every single morning in the shower. And it's don't get angry today. Don't be grievous. Express your thanks. Be kind to others. Be diligent in your business and understand why. And the last admonition of that understand why is to me, the one that connects to the ego and okay. you have to tackle it. You have to tackle it. I, I love that. I think, I think, um, you have to have a conversation with your ego and understand that it is normal and it's natural and there's healthy parts to the ego. You have to have, I mean, ego is, that's, how we can have a sense of self. That is what that is. But if you're not conversing with it and having a relationship with your ego, so to speak, then you just, then you just let it go. And you let other outside influences take it to places that you're, they're not in your control. And it sounds like you work really hard to control that part of you. If, if do you consider yourself I don't mean controlling in a bad way, but do you consider yourself to have a very controlling nature? Um, not in the, not that it goes in a dark side, hopefully, no, I, but yeah, yeah, definitely have a controlling, I, I like, um, 
being able to anticipate what's coming next. And if I, if I lose that sense of control or oftentimes I get obsessed with timeframes because I love what happens when you work really hard and then you get that time frame to chill and mm-hmm. absorb. And if I see something, a process or something occurring, especially in collaboration, if a process is occurring and something is threatening that time, that this is not going to be finished in a specific moment where I can go back to my space and have my, my time back. I think that's when maybe some of the more defensive uh, controlling elements come out. I think, I think you have to have a good sense of control if you're going to be the boss in anything that you're doing and you have, you have been a, a band leader for several different collaborations, correct? And you have written a lot of things. You have been the boss of a lot of things in your creative life, correct? Yes. And then if you don't have a good grasp of control, then why the hell are you the boss? So I think that sounds like you're, you're doing okay there. Unless you just trick people into <laughs> letting you be. That's yeah. well, good to have a lot of a healthy <laughs> amount of bullshit in your back pocket is what I say. You got it. The BS has to be there. And the humor, honestly, the humor and satire of things has to be there. Um, mm-hmm. Not taking yourself too seriously. Yeah, I mean, everything that we've been talking about so far, I mean, we're talking about ego and <laughs> extrovert space, control. Sometimes you have to just let a little bit of the pressure out yeah. and say, take a breath. You, our lives are significant to us, but find peace and some humor in the fact that they're vitally insignificant to other ecosystems. I mean, the balance word is key. Even going back to your initial statement to saying, hey, Keith, you know, talented, you know, all the stuff uh, you, I have to, I have to embrace that. And I can't feel, I can't feel guilty for saying Thank you for saying that, you know, um, but I do need to keep in check that it is only visible to the network that I showcase this to and that it is to be able to utilize your skills <laughs> and have privilege yeah. to be able to build some certain foundations. That is, I'm so grateful to be able to do that. Well, I'm glad that you are because it is, been it's such a joy you know being on the receiving end of only a small amount of your talents that I've gotten to witness I'm such a fan of art and music and when someone is so passionate about what it is that they're doing with their art it's it's medicinal it's therapeutic and that you have that gift and it's it's such a beautiful gift. And I also know you that and you are not an asshole, which helps, but, <laughs> but it is something that you should be very thankful for. I still love, I, you know, I would come home from whether it was college or sh- Chicago and like, I would bring and prepare, you know, the presentation of my latest creations to my parents, like 
you know, I, I still love sharing it. You know, I love yeah. being able to take the time to dive, put energy and thoughts into a song or composition or, or work. And, and I love sharing it. I love hearing people's perspectives. Uh, yeah. Sometimes the ego will come in and if someone has a criticism or a question about a section or something, I'll get very defensive and go, oh, but you, know, you didn't realize this, 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 this. I think I've actually learned to appreciate that perspective and actually realize, okay, Keith, keep that ego in check. <laughs> this could be very helpful if you have your ears open right now. Well, that's true. But also the you can't please everybody is something that only is the older that I've gotten, have I actually been able to practice that on a regular basis? Everybody's different and you're not going to please everybody. If everybody liked the same thing, we would be incredibly boring. We would not have new things coming up. We wouldn't have discussions. We wouldn't learn anything. And it happened very recently for me. Once I actually put myself into that statement and personalized it, which means, yeah, guess what? That means that you aren't liked by everybody. And you know what? that's okay. Like literally it's perfectly okay with me for maybe the first time in my life that I don't have to try to please everybody because I was always a people pleaser and it got me in trouble. And cause you can let yourself be super vulnerable in the really scary way. If you try to make everybody happy and please everybody. And that has been a lesson in growing older is recognizing it's like literally impossible. So why try? I wonder how we'll be when we're like 80 because we've had this growth of not, okay, you know, everybody has their own opinion, you don't have to please everybody. And, you know, here we are kind of in the mid midlife area and we're feeling confident. When are we get 80? Does it flip back? That's <laughs> uh, such a good question. Go sand mode, like, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All my friends tell me that they know that I'm going to be the old lady in the muumuu with all the jewelry, with just halfway drunk all the time, being pushed around. So that's all. That's the only vision that I've had for my friends of what I'm going to be like at 80. So it sounds like I'm not going to care a whole lot what people think about me. Definition of I don't care. <laughs> the muumuu, yes. I think that's really the physical representation of don't give a shit. I... I want to know you, we met in college, but then you went on to do further colleges and further studies. And you, you, I, if you could kind of walk me through, if you don't mind your metamorphosis, as far as like where you've been and cause there's musical stuff that I'm still discovering that you've done. That is so fascinating. It's like, where did this come from? This is amazing. You're like, yeah, well, it's fine. And having a little vault that I can, when a random question like that comes up, I can go, yep, this one, send it to Abby. But then I, I've seen you do like American folk. You have all these different musical facets, but Will you kind of walk me through your journey? Yeah. Um, just imagine that, as we talked about earlier, I'm growing up in a family where music and theater and everything is just flowing constantly. My first piano lessons at 
you know, age six or somewhere between six and eight, um, I loved the piano because my parents were playing it all the time. For some reason, I could not just latch on to the, the technique of practicing reading notated music on a page. It just didn't make sense to me. And so what I liked doing was listening to what my dad was doing or watching him and just imitating it. So in the first couple years of my piano lessons, I'd have my practice book that I'd have to work on and I would bring it home and I'd go, dad, can you help me? And he would come and sight read it and play it. And I would watch him once or twice and I would play it. And that, my practice was done. I was jamming on those songs all, you know, whatever exercises they were, I would get into my piano lesson, put the music in front and pretend like I was staring. And, but it was, I was playing it oftentimes perfectly. What was written, my piano teacher was calling my parents and saying how proud he was. Recitals were going well. And maybe three years of that uh, process occurred. So I was in a sense cheating. <laughs> And That's where your bullshit came out. Unfortunately, or fortunately, my dad got really busy with uh, theater productions and he did not have the time. He wasn't there a lot when I was having to practice piano. So my piano practice and performance started taking a major dive. And I started losing interest because when I'd go into my piano lesson, he would start to point to the page and he was actually doing some detective work at this point and going, how is this possible three years? And now he doesn't even know what that note is. And it kind of all came to a fold. And he asked me, he goes, he, he, he was like, what is this chord? And I couldn't say what it was. And he called my parents and told them he was going, unfortunately have to stop teaching Keith that he demands that his students go down this process and my mom said Keith do you want to stop piano lessons and I said absolutely wow. I didn't so technical music all of a sudden was traumatic to me but on the flip side Keith can play piano I started taking guitar lessons I started writing songs recording things forming bands in seventh grade doing public performances we got a PA system I was I had the tools to be able to make it a live event at that point so years go by you know a band that we play in, we moved to Wilmington. That's when I meet you. And I'm all in, all hearts in on this is, we're gonna make it, we're gonna perform on the biggest stage possible. So flash forward to after Wilmington, coming back to Charlotte just for a short amount of time before we were gonna make the next move. Was it gonna be New York, Chicago, LA? I don't know, but we're ready to go. You have to remember though, prior to this, at, in college, when I started to realize that business was not what I wanted to study and I got into philosophy, um, someone posed the idea, hey, you've got such musical skills, why don't you do a minor in jazz or something like that? And I started doing jazz studies. I failed my music theory class, partly because I wasn't going because we were having shows that would end at 2 a.m. and I wasn't going to make the 8 a.m. theory class. But, you know, if you flash forward from that period at undergrad to eight years later, getting inspired by watching the um, revival of Sweeney Todd on Broadway, where the actors and actresses played the instruments. Um, for the first time, I was introduced to other instruments that I didn't know anything about. 
It wasn't guitar. It wasn't piano. It wasn't folk or pop music. And I wanted to learn how to write for those instruments. I wanted to create as much sound as possible. I was kind of, not that I was done with the typical drums, bass, guitar, vocal sound, but I wanted to go deeper and very fast I moved into auditioning. I, you know, I auditioned at Northwestern University with really no resume of academic composition. I was playing them, you know, old songs from bands and little piano pieces I was writing. And I got denied over and over and over again from multiple universities and conservatories because I didn't have that skill. They would, in the audition, they would put a piece of music and you had to sight read it. And I, it brought me back to that early childhood point of like, this isn't what music is. And it wasn't until I started studying with a old Russian man named Vladimir Leichkis from the Moscow Conservatory who broke my ego in half. Let me know from the very beginning that we're gonna, you're, yes, you're an adult now, but we're gonna take you back to those little fun kindergarten pieces. And I'm gonna take you back to the beginning and we're gonna get this right. And in a matter of honestly months, I was, I was practicing 10 to 12 hours a day to get involved in this and I was so excited. I really believed that I was going to now fuse my past musical lineage with a very, very uh, a high potential area of where I could go when I knew what I, how to articulate what I was talking to other musicians and orchestra members and conductors. And that led me down to going back to school and getting another undergrad degree and then going to master's at the Boston Conservatory. And the irony of all this is now here I am with a master's degree. You know, I've, I have uh, record labels that have released my wind ensembles and orchestral works. I've conducted orchestras at the Capitol Record Studios in LA. And I went deep in that academic uh, lingo. But at a certain point, I started to get the, the red lights, the, the red flag started to go off when I found myself trapped in a room of composers who were fully set on the idea that anything that is simple, anything that's accessible is the enemy. And that to propel art, you've got to propel it into the unknown. And it has to be, you can't, we can't even talk about traditional notation anymore. All those things that I, this, I had been taught, actually retaught to embrace notation. It was like, now we're going to take this into another language. And I started to realize that a lot of these artists and composers in this ecosystem were denying the beauty of simplicity. And I started to somehow come back to the original root of, you know, three chords and the truth, honestly. came from my introduction to bluegrass, country, western swing, and lo and behold, where I am now, and after several different iterations, um, 
I have found the complexities that exist in simple, accessible music. And I'm happy to sit and play a Mozart sonata for you on the piano by memory, but I'm also happy to sit here and play, uh, you know, Your Cheating Heart by Hank Williams and find them to be both as beautiful, both as uh, encouraging of what the experience of music can be. And that took, that took my entire life to where I am right now. I'm not uh, financing you know, our entire lives on music, but I am so uh, at peace with where I am that I can sit in a room and just find the joy in, in the entire breadth of repertoire and what music has to offer. That's so beautiful. And it sounds like <clears throat> you are just a music lover. And to be able to say that very simple sentence, <laughs> there are a lot of complexities with what that represents. And because music is not just one thing. Yeah. And going back to your point of coming to a balance of not necessarily um, hitting yourself over the head when someone doesn't dig what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, that journey is only recently starting to bring me to that point um, because I was always feeling like I had to get there. And the way I get there is by someone approving. Yeah. You know, my piano teacher had to say, this sounds great, Keith, on to the next lesson. You know, I had to, I had to take the theory classes. I had to get into the conservatories to do that. I had to pitch the album to a, a record producer, you know, um, and get their negative feedback. And I had to kind of always pivot. And sometimes that the thousands of pivots that you do kind of give you the flexibility and dexterity to say, hey, I'm here now and I'm ready to enjoy what I do and share it with others and to completely take off that pressure. That's so great. That is, that's, that sounds like a very self-aware evolved statement. I mean, that's what I think we should all strive to be is everything that you were just saying right there, just recognizing that, you know, you have to do the work because you wanted to learn and you did, you did a lot of work and you learned from a lot of different people, checking your ego along the way when it wasn't what you thought you wanted to be doing. And, and then coming to a place where fully recognizing I'm not going to be able to please everybody, but I'm happy. And that should be enough. And that's, I, I do you think it's because we're knocking on 40 that that is something that, uh, cause you're 81 too, right? You're October. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah I'm September 81. So we're, yeah, I, you know, or is it pandemic related or cause, cause there's a lot of recent self-discovery that I think it's, it's, I've seen it, you know, in the ether happening, but was it a very recent thing for you that you've kind of got to this place you're saying you are right now, or is it a culmination of the past several years? Um, I would only say recently because what we haven't talked about is, you know, where I spend a large portion of my time right now is working with this company, Pro Habit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
which is about facilitating enterprise behavioral change and connecting and engaging teams and individuals, connecting their personal growth to a larger vision. And that's what our technology is all about. Um, but I spend a lot of my time obviously with this and my release when I'm done is music. Tonight I'll make tea water tea. And I'm, I'm like, I'll make tea water did I just hit the jackpot here? Because I'm passionate about my work and career and the business side, but I'm now I'm going and there's no one that is saying, hey, you need to write this piece yeah. in X number of months. You need to do this work that follows this structure. Now I'm just like free to do whatever I want. And, you know, actually during the pandemic, my wife and I have randomly deployed this virtual, um, what is called all by request, allbyrequest.com. pandemic we started doing a virtual song request series where pe people would send we get hundreds of song requests random things i'm talking from baby got back to an aria from carmen and we would randomly pull out five live every saturday and we would take one week to learn those five and we started creating and arranging these really uh, fun, emotional 30-minute uh, sessions. So we've continued to evolve this virtual performance space where we're feeling 100% free to perform our music in our home with yeah. no one uh saying oh don't do it that way we have full freedom to say this is how we will arrange this song for you uh, that's great that's fun you just spoke on uh you and your wife making music together and being partnered with someone who shares maybe not all but shares a passion with you that you get to collaborate with is just one of the most incredible gifts is it not it is a really amazing connection we have. Um, it's visible. It is, it is palpable. The two of you together is magnetic and it makes me so happy. When I got to meet you guys together for the first time in our home, I, well, I fell in love with her. I have always loved you. Well, I built me a rap and it's ready for floating. Oh, Mississippi, she's calling my name. And then fell in love with the two of you as one thing together. And it was, I mean, I, I, I got goosebumps all over just thinking about it. Keep on running down just the same. Roll black water, keep on rolling. Mississippi, moon, won't you keep on shining? Roll black water, keep on rolling. Mississippi, moon, won't you keep on shining? Roll black water. First off, I was so excited. You know, when you have, you know, a partner that wasn't there in the past with people in the past. Yeah. And you connect in the, in the current state and there is such great energy and love without even knowing the other person. I, yeah. lo I love that. that. Those are signals that you are with the right partner and you're following the breadcrumb trail. Agreed.
Um, and the people you still continue to keep in your life are meant to be there in your life. It wasn't just like a flash in the pan. Oh, I know this person from back then, but um, it, it reiterated. Yeah, I thought that Keith was this really cool spirit. And guess what? He still is. So good. Ditto. Ditto. 100%. Um, but as far as our musical connection, you know, Christina is trained in opera and musical theater and jazz vocal performance and music education. And, you know, our earliest musical experiences were where we met at the Boston Conservatory in the graduate program. And she was one of, I wrote a piece for her in a chamber ensemble that was performed within the first months of the conservatory experience. I didn't, we weren't dating, I didn't know her. I was almost testing this out. Like, wow, there's a lot of power here. Where is this going? And there, of course there's attraction, but I don't know where this is going. It wasn't for another year of us in performance groups together, uh, street performing, busking together, seeing My people throw $10 bills at us by kind of, we were just smiling and singing love songs. Um, it kind of evolved into, hey, I think the, the, the external side, the universe is actually showing us this is probably something we should continue to invest in. comfortable being spending 24 7 together that's good but it is even though we've you know grown so much and we're able to offer and we've developed even more of this musical bond that we've been performing for like nursing homes virtual on zoom the fact that we've been able to spend this time together and now that there is starting to we're starting to see some light on the end of the tunnel as far as things reopening and yeah. you know the broadway scene coming back it's exciting, it's also kind of scary. It's like, does that make me crazy? Does that make me crazy? Does Hopefully, that make me crazy? Even though I know there have been a lot of partners during this pandemic that have the opposite has happened. I know. I think you're crazy, just like me. those individuals who are meant to be together and really create a union of, of really strength and giving back. I would hope that this pandemic has um, reminded them of what they have. And when things do get back to a new normal, mm -hmm. they'll always carry that with them for the rest of their life about this is yeah. how you, this is how you survive and operate in isolation. Yeah, I, I think I wonder, because um, my husband and I, we very similar to, although it was not a conservatory, we very similar to you and Christina met in a program together and performed around each other um, with a common interest and a common group before that morphed into, oh, hey, 
oh, hey, are we, okay, this is actually love. And then it went from there. And it sounds like that's sort of how the two of you began. So I feel like those circumstances in relationships and how they begin, that has to help with the longevity because you, it wasn't just a instant passion right off the bat. You had something to fall back on because not every day is going to be passion. Um, I mean, you hope that's still there all the time, but you, you, you knew each other and you knew each other's talents before that. And you respected each other for something other than just being responsible for being the mate. Right. That makes sense. Exactly. Which, gosh, I know we're going on a tangent here. But it's okay. The whole thing heart. has been tangents. We're good. <laughs> You're right. Editing this is going to be a joy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be like, this is the three part episode of me and Keith. And this is, we have five more hours left of this conversation, right? <laughs> What instrument do you not play? Um, well, oh God, the long pause. <laughs> what do I play? Piano, guitar, bass. I can play saxophone and drums. And then if you can you play saxophone. That's a totally different thing. You can't just say piano and guitar and then throw saxophone in there like it's normal. came naturally to me. I don't know what it was. I couldn't explain what I was doing, but it You have came. to have a lot of control of your breath with that, right? Yeah. You can sustain a note for a long time. I do recall that. So, I mean, I'm sure that part. But as far as other instruments, if it's a stringed instrument, I can do something with it. Um, although the one thing that I am horrible at, which is funny because my wife could be a professional whistler, I'm the worst whistler you've ever heard. Whistling a tune should be the most. Well, now I want to hear Christina whistle. Oh my I God. can't. I can't whistle. Like, do not know how. I, I think I can make a whistle noise if I breathe in, but I. I... Nope. See? Nope. I tried. You're better than me. I didn't know you couldn't whistle either. Um, well, I, I could keep you for ever and ever and ever, um, just really such a joy to sit down and talk to you and your, your story's really fantastic. The, you and Christina's story is so fantastic and inspiring and what you have accomplished with your life and also where you've come full circle in your thoughts on how to approach everything in your life and how you digest things and internalize them. It's very, very inspiring. I think that we're both in awesome spots with our family and, and everything. So, but give our love to Garrett and fam. Same and thing to Christina. I will. Again, us being the extrovert, introvert, we love being social and having conversation and talking. And then we like being able to take it and reflect on it. So um, I'm excited. I need a nap after this. I'm excited. <laughs> I'll be, I'll see how you approach the challenge of editing this one. I don't know. I honestly, I don't well, There is no goodbye to the memories of time. Thanks for listening to B-Sides. Don't forget, you got to walk the line and don't fall off. You got to tip your hat to the waiter man. And don't forget to subscribe to B-Sides so you don't miss a beat. Love y'all. Be well.